We've been doing a series, and we probably have one or two more left, on reclaiming misused scripture. And we wanted to look at these texts because more often than not, not that we're doing anything naughty or bad, we just miss out on the full picture of just God's power and, and the good news that he does give to us through these scriptures. And so today is probably the most commonly misused scripture, and it's, you can't judge me lest you be judged. So judge not, lest you be judged. So in Matthew 7, 1, a lot of Christians use this. I'm finding out a lot of non-Christians use this. Don't judge me. Doesn't your Bible say you can't judge? And so we hear it today like this. Don't judge me. You shouldn't judge. And then third, uh, there's actually t-shirts. I kind of wanted to almost buy it. It's, and it says, only God can judge me, meaning you all be quiet. And so, uh, Urban Dictionary, don't look it up, it's kind, of, it's kind of got some colorful language, but I looked it up, what does this phrase mean to these young people? And it says, a phrase typically used as a slang, and it says, like, gangbanger wannabes, to justify or enable bad habits or immoral behavior. So they use that to say, hey, I'm going to live my life like this, only God can judge me. And I, I found the Christian meme... Uh, some youth pastor made, and, he's, and the Christian meme has some guy yelling at him, and it says, that's why you should be scared, because God is going to judge. So we use this phrase all the time, don't judge me or else you'll be judged. What does it mean? Before I jump into that, churches misuse this. You know how churches misuse it? Churches believe in the theology of nice. Just be nice. Just be nice. Don't, 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 don't be, you know, don't give them a hard time. They're just human. Be nice. So they don't want to judge anybody in the sense of going up to someone who is misbehaving or hurting the church because, or holding accountability because we don't want to judge them. That's so-and-so. I just came back from a six-hour sexual harassment, uh, you know, uh, training for pastors of all of California yesterday. And one of the symptoms is this. The church says, oh, it's only so-and-so. Oh, it's only so-and-so. So embezzlement and sexual predatory behavior are in, allowed in churches because we don't want to seem like we're judging. So what's the problem here? Here's the problem. When Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged, Jesus was not saying... Don't discern improper behavior. He was not saying don't hold anybody accountable. So all of New Testament, Jesus actually assumes you should assess, discern bad behavior. I'll give you four verses. Here's the first one. John 7, 24. This is Jesus. Do not judge by appearances. Thank God. But judge with what right judgment. So you should judge. How do you judge? Don't judge a book by its cover. Judge by right judgment. Look at their heart, their character, their fruit, their pattern. Next verse. Matthew 7, 15, 16. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Watch out. How do you watch out? Oh, I don't want to judge anybody. No, watch out for them. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. How do you know they're fake? 
Look at their fruit. You will recognize them. What is Jesus asking us to do? Make a discerning judgment call. Not two more. They seem to get longer, but this, this one, I'll keep it short. Matthew 18. This is a text we just studied a few weeks ago. If your brother or sin, a sister sins, what do you do? Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. How do you do that? You have to make an assessment, a judgment, and say, hey, Pastor Jason, we need to talk. When you tripped over that little kid when no one's looking, that's not a conduct of a pastor. Can we talk? Yeah, pull it out. Bring it out to the surface. Last one. This, 1 Corinthians 5, this is Apostle Paul talking. I really think there's wisdom in this verse. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard. He's talking about a church that allows someone to just continue doing this without any recourse and they don't care. Not even to eat with such one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Can we read this part together? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge. Discerning, assessing, looking. Not playing cop, nor condemning, but being a community that's healthy is, it's like what white blood cells do. They see some antibody and they attack it. We don't attack one another, but we attack the sin and say, hey, this is not good for this church. Gossip is hurting this church. We need to go to the source of the gossip, back to the source. And we need to say, stop. Hey, we don't like you walking around by yourself with little children without the parents knowing. Stop. We need to judge to give a safety, a sanctuary, so we can have a place where we can worship God. So Jesus clearly is not talking about don't discern or don't have accountability. So what does Matthew 7 mean let's go into that Matthew 7 verse 1 and 2 Jesus says judge not that you be not judged he sounds like Yoda a little bit there doesn't he like judgment verse 2 for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you his point the way you judge when you judge others without self-awareness would you pass your own test of measurement. Don't judge hypocritically or self-righteously. He's talking to religious leaders most likely who are going to church or synagogues and they're robes and they're like, look at these sinners. They don't, even, they don't even follow the law. I follow the law. And what Jesus knows in their heart is you're not even keeping the law in your heart. You lust. You, you idolatrize. In other words, when we judge and critical someone, do I pass the same test? Watch out. Don't judge if that's you. And so the judgment Jesus brings up is the condemning, self-righteous, hypocritical judgment. The look. It's the look. This is the look. Let me show you the look. It's, it's, it's that look. You don't have to say anything. It takes like half a second. Like, hey, welcome. Hey, there's someone new at our church. And the pastor goes, it's over. It's over. You, you've just judged by its cover. And so this is a prevalent disease. And this is probably why a lot of people don't want to go to church. 
in this day and age because they're tired of that look. They're tired of this community instead of being a broken community of grace. We have this aura like, aura like hey, I'm better than you. So he gives a metaphor and a lesson through a metaphor, the plank and the speck, and so brilliant. Three things about this. Verse 3. So his point, he goes into this lesson. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is your, in your own eye? Did you ever eat lunch and then about an hour later, like you, you go to the bathroom and you realize like all this time there was like a, I don't know, tomato paste or something stuffed into your teeth? I mean, you, you feel the blood gushes out. You went to an interview and you're like, I nailed that interview. You go to the bathroom and you got like seaweed green beans and you just it's so embarrassing that you have this glaring lack of self-awareness of how you are it's that times a hundred Jesus is saying here you got a log in your eye and you're oblivious here's the point Jesus is saying it's always easier to see others fault more than your own it's always by default how many of you woke up today and drove here and said boy I'm a bad driver Everyone else drives so wonderfully. It must be me. Never spoken. Hashtag something that's never said in America. It's everybody else is, is an idiot. They're terrible. No one ever goes, hold on. Let me pull over here. What if it's me? No one does that. If you do, let me know. I want to know you. We cannot ignore the quantity here. There's a quantity. There's a, he's saying there's a speck. Yes, the other person has a fault. But what's wrong with you? It's times a thousand. This is absolute self-righteousness. Look at those people, the scums. And then in your hidden life, there's this quantity, volume of unrepentant sin, self-righteousness, ego, and pride. And Jesus is saying, why do you see the speck and you don't even notice this huge log? And so the problem we dig for ourselves in this is we utter these words, you got a problem. And Abraham Lincoln said this, one of the proven quotes from Abraham Lincoln, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and to remove all doubt. <laughs> so just be quiet and be like, oh, that guy's a little bit okay. But when you talk, people will be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> guys." Are, so Proverbs 17, 28 says this, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. So when we start criticizing people, oh, you open a can of worms for yourself, Jesus is saying, and we're not even close. Verse 4, or how, do you, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is this log in your own eye? Jesus is funny. He's so funny. You know what this point is? Not only are you pointing out other people's fault when you have this massive issue, you're trying to be Dr. Phil. I want to fix you. Folks, when you try to tell people in the street, let, let me tell you how to live your life. You better be sure of one thing. You better be Jesus Christ. Because nobody lived their life perfectly aside from Jesus Christ. And so when you come out hypocritically like, let me show you how to live this, then people will see that. Studies show one of the reasons, there's many reasons, why people, these, this generation, don't go to church as much is because the way their parents and grandparents and their family members who go to church live, 
does not connect as followers of Jesus Christ. So what they say is, I don't need to go to church to be good. In fact, I don't see good in churchgoers. I'd rather not go to church and live a good life than to go to one and be hypocritical. I've heard that three times this summer from personal accounts. What is going on here? We are not only saying you guys have a problem when we have this problem. We're trying to fix people when we can't even fix ourselves. This is ludicrous. Why do you try to take the speck out of the... Don't you... Don't come near my eye. And so I was going to have a picture of myself and then go blindfolded and try to like get a, get a, cut, cut, get a razor blade and cut like a mole out. And I, I thought it was going to be too gory looking, even just that. Would you want somebody who's blindfolded to give you eye surgery? This is the spiritual blindness the church does sometimes. We are spiritually right. They don't go to church. They must be terrible sinners. We got to fix them. That's not the gospel. That's not good news. That's not doing church work. That's self-righteousness. And what Jesus is saying is correcting others when we can't even handle and deal with our own sins it's foolish. Third, verse 5, you hypocrite. Jesus, what do you really mean? Just kidding. I mean, he's so blunt here. You hypocrite. First, take the log out. Can we say take the log out? Of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So where do we begin the hard work of dealing with sin? Always me. Sometimes some of you are sitting here and this is what pastors find out. Sermons going on and people are tweeting and like, oh, you should listen to this sermon. This is for you. Or, or husband and wives elbow each other like, that was you. <laughs> we do it. Everyone does it. Everyone does this. And what this is saying is, I need to begin deeply I'm reflecting on myself right now. This is what Jesus is saying. You can and should help others, but make sure you could help them even better when you can resolve your sin properly. Now you have a testimony to tell others, oh, I've been where you are even worse, and God healed me of this sin. He removed it in Christ. He can remove yours also. Isn't that much better than saying, you got problems. I'm going to fix you. Let's go to church. Don't do that. They, now, now they don't ever want to go to church. And so how should we live? How do we judge or not judge? This could be overwhelming, right? And so on the one hand, if I live perfectly, and therefore I want the right to judge others, that is not what Jesus is saying. That leads to even more self-righteousness. Why can't you follow the rules like I do? But if I just give up and I don't judge anybody, I don't have accountability. How do I know when I should I just be quiet? I can't say anything. And so Jesus gives us literally the way. He is the way. It's the gospel. The gospel of good news of Jesus Christ is the only way this judging and not judging becomes, makes sense. Let me tell you. First, what is the gospel? God is judge. That's it. That's the first one. It begins with God is holy, he is judge. If God is judge, who are we? 
We are not the judge. It is completely mutually exclusive. It goes on then to, if God is judge, what am I? I am a sinner. And I don't care if you were born inside a Presbyterian church literally. That doesn't make you not a sinner. Well, I've been always a Christian. I've been to church my whole life. No! We're Presbyterians. From the time we were born, while we were even in our mother's womb, we've been contaminated with sin. And it starts with my sin. Not my mom's sin. Not my brother's sin. Not even the person next to me's sin. It's my sin. The gospel starts with God is good and he's judge. I am not. I am a sinner. And then it goes to this. The only hope I have is not living a better life. It's not living disciplined life. The only hope we have is that Jesus Christ and his body broken and blood shed gives us the mercy and grace to make us whole. That's why it's good news. It's a gift, free, expensive, but free, given to us. And the very one, this is what's fascinating about this, there is one person who could judge us, and the very person who should and can judge us dies for us. How does that make you feel? Does that make you feel superior to anybody else? Does that make you feel you, you're, you're the man, you're the woman? It, it should humble us, break us, and gives us the grace for other people. And in that, I just want to give a hard example, and I prayed, I'm like, this is actually a difficult thing. So let me give you a picture of what this can look like in real life. Right now, there is no hotter topic in the church world than the LGBTQ community issue. And so I'm sitting here in a denomination that's very inclusive-minded. I'm also torn because I love the Word of God. And so generally, we find ourselves in two camps. Here's the first camp. One camp is, it's this conservative camp. It's a sin, and it should be condemned. It's what the Bible says. It's done. It's a sin. Progressive camp says, where's the love? Where's intolerance? They were made this way. How can you not see them as humans? And so what happens is, I see people going into, generally, not all of you, just, just in the world, either going to this camp of saying, maybe this is not a sin. Maybe, maybe God's love is so big that we are all welcome in it. And then the conservative camp is, oh, we're going to fight for this, you biblically illiterate fools, heathens, worldly, secular, it's crept in, bring back the old church. And so we have this camp, and it keeps fighting each other. And I was, I, I hope this is from God, and if, I, if I'm wrong, you know, I hope God forgives me. What if we looked at this issue from Matthew 7, 1 through 5 view? What if we first, each side began with looking not at the sin, looking at our own hearts, even in this debate? For example, I'm heterosexual. I look at LGBTQ, and if I say those sexually immoral people, time out. Does being heterosexual make you less prone to sin? And the answer is, oh, you could be loud. No, I'm not more holy because I'm heterosexual. 
because heterosexual could be lust of the eyes, pornography, adultery. And so when we look at them like those vile, immoral sinners, we, what if Matthew 7 says, before you point the finger, do you have any trace of sexual immorality in you, Jason? And then let's go to the liberal side. So like you, you, you unloving, you, you, you don't even treat these as humans, as the progressive side. Before you criticize the conservatives, what if we said, wait a minute, do I truly believe everybody is welcome and loved, really, even those who disagree with me? Oh, I don't. Because if you don't agree with me, I condemn you. But everyone else, I accept. So both sides have this issue and the sin is bigger than sexuality. In each of us, we wrestle with unresolved sin. So what do we do? So before we can presume to say this is the answer, we need to look at ourselves and say, everyone, this reveals are sinners who can only be redeemed not by a position or a Republican Party, or Democrat Party, or Independent Party, but by a savior, Jesus Christ, who gives me his identity, and I can love anybody. And if this happens, what, what this does is, if I could see my brother who is progressive, but we are both in Christ, there is a bigger bond than a position. And it starts taking away the judgment, but it starts bringing in this tension that God, you're the only judge. I give up my right to judge. And the only thing I'll sit in is in the mercy that I'm a sinner who's been freed. So I serve. Well, what if you don't agree with them? I serve. Well, what if they disagree with you? I serve. And in this, we don't have to sit on the side of, are you conservative or progressive? No, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And we all need Jesus Christ. So the only way we can help one another, if Jesus is saying, take the plank out of your eye before you help them, is it your own thought process? No. It's in the work that Jesus does in me that frees me to share the good news despite your sexuality, despite your addictions, despite whatever you are, Jesus needs to be the Savior who can wash it away. Matthew 7, do not judge lest you be judged, brings us to the gospel and makes us all sit humbly. None of us can stand before the presence of God on our own righteousness. It is only in Christ's righteousness that bridges and brings us before the Lord. Amen? Amen. This is the beauty of it. This is why the church cannot sit back and just merely point fingers. We need to come before God humbly, daily in forgiveness, and we need to start repenting of the hidden sins that we know we have, and out of that grace, you may actually be effective in blessing your neighbors instead of criticizing and judging your neighbors. Let's pray. Lord, I just offer up this to you in this teaching that may your wisdom and may your, may your true truth penetrate through so that if there's anything weird uttered that you would clarify it.
but we do see your incredible brilliance that your people are not called to merely be police and, and criticize others because we are, till the day we are fully in eternity with you, we are prone to sin and wander. Until then, Lord God, may we live humbly. May we live mercifully. May we depend on Jesus, you, for our righteousness, not our own behavior, conduct, or disciplines alone, but just you. So that in that, rather than judgment, we may lend a hand and cross the bridge and cross the aisle and show the world that truly when they see the church by our love, the world will know that we are indeed your disciples. We pray and close a prayer that you taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.